0: Hi everyone, this is your host Annie Zhang and this is Hello Metaverse. new topic that's been gaining major momentum in the metaverse slash web3 conversation. While it could be easily dismissed as the latest fad, I strongly believe that this is going to be the next frontier for consumer adoption of blockchain products. And so what is it? While there are many different variations of NFT games out there, the fundamentals is that the ownership model of game assets are user-owned and transactions are encoded on the blockchain. So for example, if you bought a special edition gun in an NFT game, you could sell that gun to another player or even cash out on that gun on an open marketplace like OpenSea and exchange it for real world currency. Moreover, that gun asset is yours to keep even if the game itself that you bought it in disappeared. This creates a utility value for NFTs where it can actually live in an environment where it brings tangible value to people rather than just being, say, a JPEG piece of digital art that's hard to show off. The magic of NFT games shows through the economic opportunities that it creates for people. A simple example is Axie Infinity, which is the most popular NFT game right now. In the game, people can buy these Axies, which are these adorable pet creatures that you can train to get better and better at battles. As your Axie wins more battles, it appreciates in monetary value. So based on the work you do training Axies, you can make money off of your hard-earned work through the appreciation of that asset. In fact, a huge fraction of the population in the Philippines have started to rely on playing Axie Infinity as their main source of real income. While the Axie example is straightforward, as you can imagine for far more sophisticated games and experiences, the infrastructure to power these transactions gets more complex. And there is no better person to talk about the future of NFT games than John Linden, who is the CEO of Mythical, a next-generation game technology studio creating universal economies driven by player ownership of NFTs with utility. John is a gaming industry pioneer. Prior to Mythical, he was the president of Seismic Games, which was acquired by Niantic Labs, and was the developer of Marvel Strike Force and Magic the Gathering, Valor's Reach. Prior to Seismic Games, he was a studio head at Activision Blizzard on Call of Duty and Skylanders franchises. As a disclosure, all opinions and points of view in this podcast are my own. It does not represent the views of Roblox, my current employer, and is not affiliated with the company. I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Linden. So you are a veteran in the gaming world and have built many things in this industry that's industry defining. Can you walk us through your journey in the gaming industry and how you became interested in blockchain and blockchain games?
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate in my career to to have worked at some great places. I I started off my career actually at Activision Blizzard, so I was one of the studio heads there, mostly focused on Call of Duty. So we, we worked on four Call of Duty games on console and PC, the the beast that that is Call of Duty. You know, it was great. It was a great experience. It was great seeing these these massive productions come together. After about the third Call of Duty, we were, were really thinking about innovation in the space. And we had just come out with Hearthstone, and we wanted to do a game to where kind of in that genre, but something very different. So we, we were looking at things like Pokemon and we had a brand called Skylanders that was doing his toys to life. And we came up with this idea of doing cards to life. And uh, what was interesting there is it was a whole different game. We actually had physical cards we were putting into stores and retail. And we ended up using augmented reality. One of the first cases of augmented reality to where we could scan that card with a phone or iPad. And not only did we have kind of the, the animation come out of the card, we actually had a, an embedded code built into, so it's almost like an embedded QR code that we patented that we could view with computer vision. And within 50 milliseconds, we could tell you exactly that card. And honestly, that was my first thought around transferable ownership, verified ownership, things like that. And that was really exciting. I mean, it was, it was a really fun project. It was back in you know, 2014, 2015. I ended up leaving Activision after that and got into mobile games. And we did a big game called Marvel Strike Force at a company called Seismic, which is now part of Scopely, and uh, doing great. Three years later, and did a couple of the projects there. And we ended up selling that studio pretty quickly to Niantic. So Niantic came in and bought our entire company. And with that transition. I was kind of thinking about what I want to do next. And that idea of ownership has been really in my head, right? We've been seeing things like great markets in games and, you know, this desire for players and stakeholders to be entrepreneurial within games. And at the same time, we started to see in the early blockchain projects of like CryptoKitties and things like that that were just surfacing. And it was really amazing for, for me to start thinking about, like, man, I'd spent $30 or $40 in a free to play game, but next thing I knew, I dropped $600 on 2D images of cats. And I was like, why, why did I do that? And what was the psychology in my head around that. And I started thinking about this concept of player ownership, right? And what can happen to the game industry if we actually let the players start having the ability to transfer? You turn intangible assets into tangible assets. And not only that, we started looking at it as a way you can start bringing all of these stakeholders, esports and influencers and brands and musicians and artists into the gaming ecosystem. So that was really kind of the genesis uh, behind Mythical Games. We ended up starting it like right away after we had sold the company. We had some very early success in fundraising. And, you know, three years later, here we are.
0: That's wonderful. And I feel like you covered so many interesting nuggets that we're going to dive deep on. The first nugget that I want to get into is just really describing what a blockchain game is, or at least from your perspective, how is Mythical Games plugging into the blockchain? I guess, how does it make the experience better for players? I, I feel like that's still something that is not commonly understood by everyone.
1: That's a great question. So I think the concept of blockchain games and games that use blockchain, I think are pretty different concepts still. And and what I mean by that is there's a lot of kind of small niche games right now that are truly 100% built on blockchain. And it's a great concept, but there's just a lot of challenges, I think, in terms of bringing the gaming industry into that model. First and foremost, you know, there's nearly what, three or four billion gamers now, and they still seem to magically lose their passwords twice a day. It mm-hmm. seems like this this rare skill set of gamers. And right now, though, if they lose that password and they go to customer service and get it shifted or get it changed, all their stuff's still there. And that's a fundamental challenge, I think, with, with a blockchain game, right? If everything is on the chain and you own those private keys, if you lose those private keys... You've lost everything you've worked on. So I think there's some fundamental things like that that are are very concerning, let alone the idea of having to go buy a different form of currency, sending Ethereum from, from person to person is still something you kind of hold your breath and hope it shows up right on the other end. You know, there's a lot of ways to kind of look at that. So what we looked at is really the opposite way, right? How do we start off with gaming and bring concepts that work in gaming to a new level? And and using blockchain technology to do that. So that's where we have really focused. And I think that's that's where we're spending most of our effort right now is not on a blockchain game, a game that's built 100% on the blockchain, but using blockchain as a distributed ledger technology to bring new functionality into mainstream video games.
0: Yeah. And let's elaborate a little bit more. So I think what you're talking about is basically the economic engine or having marketplaces be able to transact on the blockchain. What does that look like for a game that would be using mythical games at this point?
1: I'll give you a few examples. Um, So we have a game out right now called Blanco's Block Party. And Blanco's for us was our proof of concept. We wanted a 3D digital world and we wanted to have a new virtual world that players could come in and play together and they could create and they could have a lot of fun, very social type world we wanted to to push the boundaries of some of those interactions right so we started thinking about okay well every character in the game is essentially owned by the players everything in the game is limited edition it's either quantity based or it's time based, right? So it's available for a period of time, and then it's gone. Or it's there's a set number that are issued, and then they're gone. So that was one one of the early principles of what what happens there and how do you distribute those, right? So they're literally sequentially numbered. They show up in a box, just like a like a physical collectible that you have to unbox. So we started thinking about things like that, and then we wanted to say, okay, great. Now that we have kind of this concept, you can sell these and you can trade them, and that's that's great. But how do you start thinking about gameplay that gamers love? How do you start? reinventing that. So we started off with things like party pass, right? Fortnite has a party pass and Call of Duty has a battle pass and PUBG and paddle passes. So we actually thought about what does a party pass look like if some of that is owned, right? And what are those new mechanisms around that? So now you can go through and play a game, play, play Blankos. You can earn virtual currency. You can earn consumables like other mainstream games, but you can also earn items that are sequentially numbered. And what happens now is that if you're the first person in the world to reach that tier in a party pass, you get number one. And if you're the second person, you get number two. So suddenly just those slight shifts now, and the ability to have value creation out of that has changed some of the gameplay we've seen, like almost these party passes. Now there's a rush. People want to come in and make sure they can do everything. They actually now are calculating when am I going to hit that tier? How do I hit that tier first? Things like that. So it's been really interesting watching that. So another example we've been looking at is, is a concept we're calling gym rush. And again, this is specific to Blancos. But again, it's a it's a common video game mechanic, right? So think of like Pokemon evolution, where you have one set of assets, and you can use gameplay to level those characters up and max them out, and then you can evolve it into a new character. Usually, that character can be more rare, it can be more valued to the consumer because maybe it has different effects or it has a, you know has that glow or whatever. So that's what we're looking at now with gem rushes. Okay, well, what does that mean in this world of scarcity, and what does that mean in the world of ownership? So we're rolling out this uh, in in December and in, in, in Blankos to where now, let's say you start off with a there's a hundred thousand characters uh, that were created of a particular type, and now I can say, cool. Well, what if I through a gem rush event, I can max out those characters, and maybe I have to get two of them and max both of them out, and then I can merge those together to create a new uh, kind of evolved character. And so what's great is like, okay, cool. I start off with a hundred thousand and I can make a decision as a player. Do I go through this event or not? And I can maybe trade it in now for one of 5,000, right? So now I've traded from a one of a hundred thousand into one of 5,000, you know, it's the same concepts we've seen in other games, but now what happens is you've exchanged something of value for something else, uh, another, another form of value, right? That could be more rare, but not only that, because of blockchain, because of that ledger tech, we can actually destroy the old ones. You can burn the old ones. Mm -hmm. So the originals now are getting more rare. There's no longer 100,000. Now there's only 90,000 or 80,000 or whatever kind of the structure you set up. By using this technology with classic mechanics, we've changed that dynamic. We've changed what the creation of value is because now the old ones are getting more rare because I'm holding one of the originals. But now I could have traded that in via gameplay to get something even more rare as well. So these are the things we love. These are things you can't really do and create that economic value without kind of the power of blockchain behind it.
0: That's fascinating. Just first off, like this concept of removing things off of the blockchain because it's gotten more rare. I actually haven't thought of that and nobody has really talked about that, which is it's not the same thing that is encoded in the blockchain forever. It's actually going to be evolving and it could change and it could shift and that change is captured, which is cool. The second is, I mean, is it fair to say what you guys are doing is almost bringing like collectible characters to life, right? Instead of just having a Pokemon hard, you have a living, breathing Pokemon that you can now breed or train or have them attack each other and stuff like that
1: that's exactly right and it's really kind of you know this concept of nfts and that you hear about a lot it's really the idea of bringing utility to that right so it's not just an image that you're you technically own right it's actually what you can you do with that what's the life of that object and and, and you control that as a player i mean there's even scenarios you could do to where imagine if there was a game that had a like in blankers we actually have a one-of-a-kind object right so we have one character named the golden ticket and it's the only it's a gold shader it's all shiny and metallic but there's only one and it's become honestly this character of legend so you see that character in the game you know there's only one in the world and you kind of know who owns it because because they talk about it on like social media and stuff what you could end up doing over time though is that that person that has a -a one-of-a-kind character they could technically destroy that character and now it's gone forever now you have permadeath and that character that you created will never exist again right and there's not really a lot of other other ways to do that and create that value back to the players, you are giving the control back to the players to make those decisions and they it actually say, hey, I'm going to eliminate this character completely. No one will ever play with this character again because I have the only one and I'm going to destroy it. Right. So right. it just really takes it takes the psychology of how players interact with games and starts giving them more power. Right. It gives them the ability to change that narrative, to change that economics themselves within a video game.
0: Yeah. And if anything, it actually connects the concept of NFTs with gaming much better than what people have done previously. Right. Like Axie Infinity, great, incredible game that's really created a whole industry around it. But it doesn't necessarily bring the concept of collectibles into the game. It's just, you know, you play games, you do things in the game, you accrue value over time. But for you guys, there's actually kind of a collectible cultural scarcity aspect to to these characters as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, we've kind of adopted a lot of principles of like the sneakerhead culture, right? right. Like the entire Gen Z has really moved heavily into the sneakerhead culture. And, and I mean, I love it, too. We, we were all collectors as kids and all that. And we collected Star Wars and all these different toys. But now it's really kind of putting a value on that. And it's really it's allowing you to show off these cool collections, even if they're digital. What we're finding is that consumers still they value a digital object as much as a physical object. And that makes sense because our lives are becoming more digital, right? So it's a really fun thing, but you're right. It's, it's a lot about collectability and there's collectability aspects in, in most things in life. Mm-hmm. So people collect all types of things from magazines to, you know, comic books, to toys, to, you know, to baseball cards, all these types of things are very collectible in, in the world. And we're bringing that same mentality and some of those same economics to the world of gaming.
0: So tell me about how you guys decided to start on this route. Why was it that you wanted to work with artists and, you know, popular collectibles and bring them to life?
1: We we are big collectors ourselves, right? And I, and I think that was part of this spoke to us. And vinyl toys in particular started speaking to us because one, Jamie Jackson, my co-founder, one, he's a he's a big you know toy geek and he loves all these things, and so do I. But you know, we we've been talking about it would be fun to build this kind of pop culture toy world in a virtual game, right? So that was one thing. But but really, what spoke to us about the vinyl toy world in particular is that. If you think about what happened in the physical world around that industry, there, there was these silhouettes, right? So you had the kid robots, you had, you know, Funko does these silhouettes and things like that. And then a lot of times what will happen is they start off blank and an artist could buy a blank silhouette from the company and they could paint it and make it their own and then resell that to their own fan base. Right. Mm-hmm. And that would really, really spoke to us. We're like, oh, my God, that's very similar to what we're thinking initially, digitally, that you could do is you could start off with a blank character, which is where the name Blankos came from in the first place, oh. is you could start off with a blank character. An artist could come in and partner with us and say, hey, I'm going to create my own version of the silhouette. And then I'm going to sell that out to my fan base or my community or the general gaming community. And I'm going to get a cut of that. But then also using blockchain technology, they get a cut every single time it transacts. So if I sold mine to you, The original artist is going to get a piece of that. And if you sell it to somebody else two years later, they're going to get a piece of that too, two years later. And now you start seeing the power of where this blockchain tech starts becoming powerful is things like smart contracts, things like distributed ledgers, that becomes more and more powerful over the years as these things have a life of their own.
0: Right, definitely. So we talked a lot about the gaming development part of your company, but what's super interesting is that that's just step number one, right? The next phase is actually making it into an economic platform that supports other blockchain games. So can you talk to us about what that means? What is the next evolution of mythical games?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we're actually kind of heavily entering into that phase two of of the business. So we wanted to really show off, you know, we've been building this tech and from day one, we wanted this to be a platform and we didn't fully talk about it as a platform, but we had this kind of economic engine for which for us was, was really kind of three things. One is the way we approach blockchain and how do we do that that's gamer and ga- game developer friendly. So that was a step one. Step two is we wanted to have a full bid ask marketplace sitting on top of that blockchain. So think of like a StockX or even a NASDAQ that's, that's really tied into that native blockchain. And then also things like we didn't want to have external gas fees. You know, we want to make sure you could have cheap items in the world of Ethereum right now there's like $40 gas fees on every transaction. You're paying $40 of currency to make that transaction legitimate. That's great if you're selling a $20,000 JPEG. In a world of gaming where you're selling a $5 object, that doesn't work. So we want to kind of solve those problems first. And then we also started thinking about content tools, right? How do you tie into systems like Twitch? How do you tie into systems like Amazon Prime Gaming? All these types of things, even TikTok that are helping drive value in games. How do you tie this in in a, in a, in a world of blockchain, right? So those are really kind of the three components was our approach to blockchain, the marketplace, and then the creator tool. So we started with that. And then Blancos was our proof of concept and kind of our Trojan horse. We wanted to be able to walk into the first parties and all these traditional game companies and be like, look, here's, here's what you can do. Play with it yourself and you'll see that. And that's really how we started. But we've always been planning on doing a mythical platform. So we recently announced the mythical platform. We've announced the first few developers that are building on it. And now they're going to be building on top of our same platform and bringing our tool sets into their own worlds and their own games.
0: So I want to get deeper on each one of these components. The marketplace. You talk about lower gas fees. How are you actually lessening the gas fees? Um, I know that there is a concept of a private blockchain that you guys are building off of, actually a sidechain. Can you tell us about what that concept is and how that differentiates from, you know, if somebody were just to transact over an open marketplace like OpenSea?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we haven't really been talking too much about our blockchain yet, but we are going to be announcing kind of the mythical chain. So we're going to make our blockchain more and more prominent soon. It is kind of an EVM compatible. So it's Ethereum compatible chain at this point. We are basically using what's called a proof of authority right now and maybe eventually proof of stake network. So basically what that means, there's no mining. There's not hundreds of thousands of validators that are getting paid to validate that network. We have kind of a trusted group. We actually are looking at other game developers and other studios that'll start running these nodes. It'll become more and more decentralized over time, but there's no external fees on it. There's no external gas fees, you know, that somebody's charging to make these transactions happen. Instead, we actually do take a fixed transaction fee within the, the item itself. And some of that money goes to the creator. A lot of it goes to the game developer and some of it could go back to pay the validators and things like that out of a fixed fee. So it's a fixed fee off of the item value rather than just an arbitrary congestion fee, which is what Ethereum uses right now. And then we also are introducing the concept of bridges. So if you want to say, hey, I just want to sell this on OpenSea, you can do that. You can link a, a wallet to our chain. You can transfer the asset off of our chain to another chain like Ethereum, and then you can sell it on OpenSea. But when you do that, obviously now you have to go pay those gas fees and all that. So we think that'll be interesting in certain situations. But you know, if you have an item that maybe it is you have a super, super valuable item in some game and it's worth $20,000, it might make sense to transfer it to OpenSea and go sell it on that marketplace. And then I'm okay paying that gas fee. But we think most of the transactions won't be worth doing an external gas fee and they'll just stay within the marketplace. So we want to make sure we had a very strong marketplace technology that could fulfill that for gamers for a majority of the items. But we do also want to be open. So if you want to move it somewhere else, then great. That's your prerogative.
0: That is so smart. Two quick follow-up questions on that is, does it mean that you guys will have a sort of mythical games marketplace where all of the game companies that are developers using the platform are going to amalgamate everything into this marketplace and then to that end do you think that there is a future where there are a lot of not necessarily closed marketplaces but more so like ecosystem specific marketplaces and then there'll have to be ways for those marketplaces to be interoperable with each other
1: yeah i think you're you're hitting a lot of great points so i think we started off with we wanted to have a very easy low friction marketplace first that the gamers could use right and that's what we started off with we introduced the mythical marketplace uh, last summer Uh, right now it's mostly blankos but we're adding a bunch of these new games into that marketplace and to me that our goal of that marketplace is you know have a transparent healthy marketplace that you know, thinks about things like market making for a game and really getting that economy stable. So that's the first step. That tech can then be used by any of our partners. So they can actually have their own branded version if they want. Let's say a big studio. I'll, I'll use Roblox. If Roblox wanted to ever do their own marketplace, they could build their own marketplace on top of our marketplace oh. um, as, as an example. But then also we are working with some of the other markets right now to try and start thinking about interoperability. Because ideally what would happen is every object can show up in every marketplace down the road, right? And that becomes the ultimate power of liquidity for gamers, right? Some markets will be better than others, you know, for certain games. Yeah, I think I could see a situation to where OpenSea could be the best marketplace for a particular game because it's all... Maybe not a lot of items, but they're really high dollar items. And that might make Mm. sense to put a lot of that onto OpenSea, but you still need to manage it. How does the game access it? How does the game look at it? So that might make sense. But in other cases, we wanted to have a mythical marketplace that was a was generally the best for game objects. So kind of we want to have the marketplace for gamers but we still want to make it open. So if you want to have your own version, great. Eventually we're going to open up the smart contracts. So if you want to build your own marketplace that's reading all that, that's awesome too. We do want to be committed to openness over time, but we're also, there's only so many hours in the day and we want to make sure we deliver that first great experience for gamers that is really tailored towards the gaming experience.
0: Yeah. And I think there's definitely a place for that because when you open up OpenSea, right? A lot of the assets there right now are not game assets. They're also not 3D, right? There's a lot of JPEGs.
1: Well, they don't have a lot of metadata. I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't, they're not gaming assets. You're right. And they don't have a lot of metadata. They don't have things around... Okay, like in Blancos, this one is boxed and it needs to show this version. But if you open it, then I need to show this version, right? So you need, you need assets that shift, that can change, that can morph. I think these other markets are doing a great job, but they are very open. They're trying to sell everything. They're trying to sell every artist a project out there. And, and they, they're doing a beautiful job for artists but I don't think it's right for gaming right now. So I think our goal is that we want to be able to build that version for gaming that works beautifully for gaming assets. And then like I said, as, as they get more compatible, we'll open it up and let them sell wherever they, they can sell. Because I think that's the whole true spirit of where Web3.0 goes is to give the power back to the consumers.
0: That makes total sense. So let's switch gears on the developer side. What are the types of developers that are interested in building on the blockchain right now, or having a blockchain for their marketplace? And do you think there's actually trade-offs that developers have to think about when it comes to choosing to build a very traditional game or choosing to build a game on the blockchain?
1: I think what's really exciting is that what's happened in three years has gone from most studios like, why would I want to give the ability to let somebody sell something that we're not getting 100% of the money for? To, oh my God, I see why this makes sense. And we know that every, you know, that was again, one of the problems or one of the challenges that we want to show with Blankos is like, here's what's happening when you do this to your community. And we want to start fresh with a game that could show some of that. So we're seeing that now and we are seeing all types of developers from the best of the best out there are thinking through these strategies. The first parties are really thinking through this. Strategies of how do they interoperate and how do they think about this now? And there's a lot there. There's a it's a huge rabbit hole of new technologies, and I think we're trying to help guide the best practices. So, for example, we're really thinking more about assets right now. We think that's where the value is right now in terms of characters and accessories and emotes and consumables and things like that, rather than just the tokenized currency. So, so oh like Axie's done a beautiful job on their tokenized currency. But it's also very, very, very difficult to balance a a full mainstream game with a variable fluctuating external currency, right? So we're focused heavily on the NFT side and and not just the NFTs you see right now, but but other forms of that. Can you own land? And what does that look like? And can you have teams that fit together and and jointly build and stuff like that? So that's what we're really thinking right now. and, And developers are getting that very quickly. We're seeing all types of different developers. The first few we announced, I'm very proud of. There's a group called Creative Mobile. They've had a lot of experience in racing titles and things like that. They want to build new game designs into that genre thinking about these problems from day one. We have a TCG partner with Cryptozoic. They create, I think, some of the best tabletop games and they create a lot of times digital versions of their tabletop card games. And they're just thinking the same thing. How do we actually build TCG, not just take a Hearthstone clone, which is what a lot of people seem to do, Let's do we build a brand new TCG that takes these principles from day one. So I think that's what we're excited about with the early partners. But we're seeing a lot of established franchises now reach out as well saying, okay, we actually think of blockchain a little bit differently. And that's the beautiful thing is that whole player owned economy has become a tool for game developers to use and design new economies around these functionalities. So it's not just something you bolt onto a game and hope it works and say, cool, I'm going to bolt it on and people can sell. That's not right. really where the success is going to be. It's okay, these are new concepts that I can now use to craft my economy within my world. Developers that do that are going to do really, really
0: well. So I, I do want to anchor a little bit more on this difference between focusing on the asset versus focusing on the token. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a that's a really, really key difference. Yeah. Can you actually break down more tactically, what does that look like within a game? What does that look like within transactions? Yep. And then I also want to dive into what, what does that mean to live in existing incumbent ecosystems? Like how does a game live on the Apple store? How does it live on the Epic store?
1: Those are great points here. So let's start with the asset versus token. I think they both could have a place in games. My point on the on the tokenized currency right now is I think there's some things you have to be very careful of. First and foremost, you got to be careful it doesn't become a security. The last thing any game would ever want to happen is to have a currency that drives their game that a federal regulator and group says, you know what, that's a security like a stock and you must be an accredited investor to own or mm. trade that most gamers are probably not accredited investors right they do not have the net worth and all that that they have to check the box with the the federal groups to to be that so i think that's first and foremost something you have to be very very careful with if you're playing in a tokenized currency is Let's make sure it's not a security. Let's make sure it's an, a utility token and not a security token. So I think that's a little scary, right? Is you could suddenly build an entire game economy that gets shut down because you didn't really think through what does this mean? And how does this affect players? And are you protecting consumers appropriately? The second step then, again, is, is, is just like we we've built a lot of great games in our careers and they are hard to balance, right? It's hard to balance leveling curves. It's hard to balance... Gun rapid fire rates, and it's hard to balance the economies of how do you roll this out, right? Especially in free to play. You know, a lot of games fail in free to play just because they didn't get the balancing quite right. And again, that's against the stable currency. So imagine now if you're mm-hmm. trying to balance a game and that currency just doubled in value. Well, crap. Now, now they completely changed the way I was thinking the economic development of this game was going to go. And now I have to make changes for that. I think you have the same risks you have to think about on the NFT side too, right? If you suddenly are like, cool we're going to transfer everything and everything's going to be, you know, I can just go in and wait and not play it. And I can go buy a level 99 and crush everybody for a little bit more money. Then That's going to turn into a play to win genre. Now free to play has pay to win issues as well. You want to design your free to play game not to be a pure pay to win type economy, but still have economic benefits that you can get by making it free to play. One of the interesting things when we first started Mythical, one of our early partners, early investors was again Rob Pardo, and Rob was uh, he was the chief creative officer at Blizzard, so he was involved kind of in that the real money auction house that Diablo had, which you know a lot of the industry views as this huge failure. If you point to like real secondary markets, are like, oh yeah, look at Diablo, it failed. Well, I mean, honestly, the really interesting thing about Diablo is it didn't fail financially. Financially, it was actually a hell of a success on the real house auction or whatever they called it. Where it failed was, I'm going to oversimplify this. And uh, Rob, if you hear this, sorry if I oversimplify this. But really what happened is they had a a very tight RPG game with Diablo and they kind of strapped on an MMO secondary economy to that world, right? And 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 that was frustrating players and you could get assets you couldn't use. And you just ended up having a misalignment between how do you buy in secondary versus what does it mean in the game? That's really the part that kind of failed. It was just a misalignment. So it wasn't the the actual mechanics and the, and the financials and all that. It was just new information and they didn't quite design it right. So I think, again, same thing as, as we entered into free to play and all these different shifts that have happened in the industry, you have to design with it in mind. It's not just something you can bolt on and hope it works.
0: That makes total sense. So let's talk about a world where there's going to be NFT games on mobile and that lives on the app store, for example. So obviously there's a lot of things happening between Epic, Apple, all of these walled gardens. What does it mean to transact and buy an NFT or trade an NFT if that game is on the Apple store?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. What's interesting is with the, the first parties, and, and we saw this again, with that Skylanders game I mentioned before, we actually had things saying, OK, here's what we're going to do, Apple. We're going to sell physical." Packs of cards that are digital items. And we're going to sell them in retailers and you don't get a cut of that because it's through Toys R Us, right? Obviously, you can imagine they're like, well, we don't like that because they don't. And what ends up happening is we worked out an agreement with them to where it's like, okay, as long as everything we sell physically has a digital representation, we're not driving consumers to the stores because that's the only access you had to that. We made sure it was fair. We made sure you could buy it. We made sure there was price parity, right? We didn't say, hey, we're going to sell it in in the Apple store. It's going to be $200 and in the store, it's going to be $5, right? We want to keep them very in parity. And Apple was good with that. Right. I mean, it was like, that's fair to the consumer. So, you know, to me, it's a very much a similar type process that's happening right now is, Apple wants to make sure that they are protecting consumers, that they're not introducing them into some risky type business. You're not trying to cut them out, right? You're not trying to move it around. You know, other than that, they're actually being pretty open about things. Now, currencies make it harder because if you buy currency in the game, you have to pay the 30%. If that's a real currency, somebody has to pay that 30%. So it could actually be if you're doing a tokenized currency and you're also enabling that currency to be purchased via Apple, you could actually be in a very tough situation as a game developer because that's real money. It's not virtual currency anymore. It's real money. But the NFTs, I think there's a path. You know, As long as the NFTs are purchasable in the game, and as long as everything is at least purchasable at some point in the game, I think you're going to find the first parties are going to start opening up to a lot of the concepts around NFTs. So...
0: Interesting. That's great to hear. I want to switch gears to the creation side of things. So obviously, like what's really exciting about virtual worlds and more virtual worlds getting built is the economic aspects of it and economic opportunities. What are some of the new roles and jobs that get introduced as a result of the experiences that you're building right now?
1: That's one of the really exciting parts, I think, for us is that, you know, we started off with a game that that had a lot of opportunity for artists and and getting them involved and kind of creating stuff. But what I what I think is really cool is that the more conversations we have the more important I think it is for this to succeed. And what I mean by that is that gaming is is no longer just a game developer, game publisher, and an IP and a consumer. There's so many stakeholders that have become so critical for the ecosystem. Esports teams and influencers and brands and artists and musicians and all this. This can start changing gaming from being an entertainment platform to being a whole new ecosystem for creativity. is a little different. There's there's different genres, there's different demographics that it drives to, but it allows people now to, to basically figure out where is best to create my IP, whether I'm a player and I want to be entrepreneurial or I'm a brand and I want to get in front of consumers in, in a very interesting way, or I'm an esports team that's playing professionally, or I'm an influencer that just wants to drive my audience into a particular game. You now have this ability now because you can actually within this these constructs, they can actually maybe create content and put it in. They can be a participant in those transactions. So they can actually now get the real value they're helping a game build. They can be part of that transaction. Esports teams are going to really do well with this. I think influencers now are going to have a new way that they don't just have to be on camera all the time. Their influence can actually be kind of delivered to them you know through value off camera you know if I help drive people into a game or they're buying my version of a character in a game mm-hmm. they're getting an ongoing residual brands have a new way of, of now not just doing some weird throw my name on something they can actually think about how do we use our brand to effectively get in front of consumers so I think that's going to be really amazing to watch because it almost takes if you think about like the app store right the app store success is the ecosystem of creativity that's built around the app store and I think this type of model does the same thing for gaming, right? We'll have millions of people and millions of stakeholders that are contributing into games. And I really think, you know, we've seen a couple shifts in gaming of democratization of different aspects of gaming that have been very influential for games. And I really think this is the next one. If I can go real quick on that. The first ones we saw was the democratization of game access and free-to-play really drove changes in our industry, right? We ballooned from hundreds of hundreds of millions of players to billions of players through free-to-play. Once you have ubiquitous access and people can get into games for free, it created this massive amount, explosion of gamers into the ecosystem. And the second shift was, frankly, companies like Roblox and Minecraft and, and groups like that to where it's the democratization of game content to where now more content than any one studio could ever create got created because you democratize that you let players in and and people create that content within the game now we Mm -hmm. think this next chain with with nfts and blockchain and all that is the democratization of game economies right now you're letting the money flow through and and appropriately through the players and the and the stakeholders themselves as they contribute into these worlds.
0: That is music to my ears. Every time it's about democratizing creation for users, I love to hear that. Do you see any interesting tooling um, beyond the different companies that you've talked about that are enabling better creation for these experiences?
1: There's a a lot of that happening, it seems like, all the time, just in general in gaming that's starting to get cooler. You know, I mean, groups like Manticore and groups like, I mean, even Fortnite with their braider mode and things like that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, (laughs) what Roblox and Minecraft and those type of groups do uh, are just amazing for content creation. And now you're seeing, like I said, you see it taught in schools and you see it, you know, you see brands building their own worlds and all that. I think this is just the next version of that is they build that right now because they want to get their content in front of people. I think once you have the ability to not only get your content in front of people, but also a way that's monetize that content, it completely shifts everything. Right. And to me, This is the basis of what I consider like a metaverse ideology. So metaverse to me is not ready player one and everybody lives in one gigantic world together. It's really about building virtual worlds into an ecosystem that anybody can benefit from, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that is the metaverse. That's the ability to say, okay, I am a consumer and I want to be an active producer of content as well as a consumer of content, right? Giving the freedom to people or brands or artists or musicians or whoever, giving them the power to do that, right? That's a step in the right direction to where we're letting... people be part of this ecosystem. And honestly, I think just blockchain is a really cool tech to make that happen. I'm not a decentralization or die type person. I'm more of a, hey, this is a really amazing piece of technology that can enable these ecosystems to flourish and do it in a very way that protects consumers.
0: I completely agree with all of that. So zooming out here... Why do you think right now this is happening, right? You've been thinking about this concept for a very long time. I think there are a lot of other early adopters too, but really it's only been recently that even the word NFT games yeah. have been showing up in the mainstream. I don't think it's necessarily gotten product market fit, but people are paying attention. So what are some of the macro trends that are causing that to happen? Some of
1: the trends are positive, And I think some of the trends could ultimately be negative to be super honest. And, and what I mean by that is- I think a lot of the reason these NFTs have taken off and the reason that my mother now calls and she's like, have you heard of NFTs? Like, I'm like, my mom <laughs> talks about these things, you know, which is great. The reason they hear about them is not because this is a new way to have a healthy ecosystem in gaming, right? That's not the reason they hear about them. They kind of hear about them because of all the crazy, ridiculous happening financially. And that's exciting. That's really moved people together. There's a lot of get rich quick. I can throw this out and I can make a million dollars. That serves its purpose. That gets people excited because people see that. I think we're going to see a couple different things happen. One is we've seen this huge growth. And then I think we're going to see a huge winter coming. People are going to realize, oh, wow, there's a lot of crap out here that I shouldn't have been buying, right? And then with that, you're going to see the true heroes kind of come out and be like, okay, this is what's going to happen next. And I think we, you see that in any type of early start of an, of an industry. I think we're seeing that right now. I think that the best part is that there's a lot of heart behind what's happening. The ability to say, hey, look, we can programmatically cut out middlemen over time. That's, that's great. That's a healthy thing for where we're heading. And it's going to create a whole new shift of where's the economic value generated and who owns that. Right. So I think that's really exciting. It's just a combination of a lot of these things hitting all at once that the the consumer media has really picked up on. But I do think we a lot of times focus on the wrong aspects of NFTs. Right. We focus on the 69 million dollar people that sold at, at auction rather than wow, this could actually change how finance is moving between all the parties involved in a a particular world, right? So I think there's good and bad there. And I think we're going to see the next couple of years will be, there'll be a lot of really amazing innovations. And there's going to be a lot of really negative things that are happening. You know, like there's a lot of scams happening right now where people are jumping on, not understanding exactly how this works and then losing their money because, It's just they they bought into the wrong thing or they bought the wrong version or they bought a fake version of this and didn't really understand the, the core underlying principles And the core, they didn't have the tools and the education to really figure it out themselves, right? So that's, I think there's gonna be good and bad coming with this, but a lot of people are jumping on because of the the financial impact that's been happening over the last year.
0: So speaking of winter, I don't think that you guys are headed for a NFT winter because you guys just announced your Series C funding that was led by UnJason Horowitz. Tell us about this financing round. Tell us about what you guys plan to do in the future in the next phase of the company. And just to call this out, you guys just did another fundraising raising round like three months ago. So (laughs) this really indicates how exciting people are about the opportunities that mythical games have in the future.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah, we're we're been very fortunate in this space for sure, right? And yes, the, the new round is very exciting. We just closed $150 million. And yeah, we just closed a $75 million round about three and a half, four months ago. For us, I think we've been sticking to our core principles. I mean, I think one thing I'm very proud of at Mythical is we didn't shift our model. We didn't jump on the NFT band, bandwagon to be like, hey, let's go sell a bunch of stuff on OpenSea because there's a lot of money right now. Or, oh my God, the money's like nifty gateway. Let's go sell stuff on nifty gateway right now, right? We didn't follow those. We really stayed true to our vision of, hey, we're okay with a $5 asset. We're okay with a $20 asset that becomes worth $40. We, this doesn't have to be a case that every single asset has to be worth $10,000 tomorrow. We really wanted to build where we think the industry is going because we truly believe this is a shift that will be permanent in the industry. And I think we're being somewhat rewarded for that. You know, I think what the, And what I mean by that is that by sticking to, this, sticking to our true kind of values of where we want to build and build around trust, protect gamers at all costs. And I think we're, we're being rewarded with that a little bit. And what I mean by that is it's starting to speak true to developers. So we just announced our first set of developers. We're going to be announcing another set of developers before too terribly long. We have some of the biggest studios in the world now that are turning to us for education and tools and best practices and things like that. And that's where some of this round came from is we had a great team at Andreessen that kind of took notice of what we were doing, took notice of our early strides, took notice of our, our values of how we bring this out and saw that we were starting to shift into this new phase of like, okay, what they what they're doing now could really affect most games. And yeah, you know, we brought in, it, it was a great round. Uh, it was a very exciting round. It was, you had a lot of different groups. We had a lot of support from the entertainment industry. We had a lot of support from the, the sports industry. And I think we're seeing all these industries starting to collide and see like, oh, wow, I can see how this ties all of us together. And hopefully, you know, Mythical will be a part of that.
0: Huge congrats. Thank you. My last question to you is, what would you like to offer to the audience on how you think this ecosystem and industry is going to thrive? What are the efforts and projects you'd like to see? What are some of the major players that you would hope to see evolve? What are the technologies that uh, we want to keep on improving? For
1: me, it's, it's a couple things. One is, is I'd encourage game developers and game publishers, don't jump into the easy dollar. Truly think about how this affects your franchise or your new IP or whatever you're working on. I think that's really important of, of really making sure you build it as a tool set. View this as a new paintbrush in your palette of tools. Don't just jump on the bandwagon and hope you can sell a bunch of pre-sell stuff. Second one then is is also I'd also like to say the thing there's a lot of people out there that are like NFTs are scams or blockchains killing the environment. They are right in very specific circumstances. Just like anything, there's a lot of other things out there that have, have already come and affected this. Proof of work with Bitcoin, it's not super great. But even that they're they're trying to figure out renewable sources of energy and things like that now that they can use that to mine that. So that they're making improvements there alone. Not all blockchains are the same. And I think there's all these new technologies. So really think about the technology and think about how it affects you and and really embrace that concept rather than just kind of judging it and saying, hey, it's a scam. Now, are there scams in blockchain? Absolutely. There's a lot of them. And you have to be very careful. And I think the last message I'd say is kind of related to that is make sure you get educated about the space before you jump into the space, because there is a lot of stuff out there. And there's a lot of things that could make sense. There's a lot of things that won't make sense. You've got to educate yourself if you're going to go deep into the space.
0: So. Right on. Well, thank you so much, John, for your time. Huge thank congrats you, again for such an incredible round. And I'm so excited to actually play some of these games and be a part of it and hopefully make some money.
1: There you go. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate
0: the, the talk today. That was John Linden, the CEO of Mythical. You can find him on Twitter or you can try out Mythical's first game called Blanco's Block Party. If you liked this episode please help share it with someone who'd also appreciate it also are you working on an interesting metaverse or web3 project or company i'd love to hear about it you could reach me at annie at hellometaverse.fm thank you for listening this is your host annie Zhang, and i will see you in two weeks